Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. My favorite experience at Mass of all time was Saturday, August 10th, 2013. It was a Mass at 1 p.m. and it was my wedding Mass. It was the day I married my bride at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church in Lake Arrowhead, where my wife and I both were baptized, received our first communion, our confirmation. Um, we became one flesh, and it was a beautiful day, a beautiful Mass. But my second favorite Mass was the next day. See, my wife and I, we were supposed to go um, on a honeymoon, but it wasn't going to happen until the following weekend. And so we went to Mass the next day on Sunday in the morning and I remember it was I don't remember anything significant about the mass I don't remember what the readings were if the music was good if the homily was good whatever it was um, but I remember distinctly walking down the aisle at communion and remembering the day before and having a flashback and realizing like wow I get it I understand I understood what the mass is all about you know every Sunday Every, every day if I go to daily Mass, I can walk down the aisle to Jesus in the sacrament of the Eucharist. That's what's commonly called communion. Under the disguise of bread and wine, Jesus is actually, not symbolically, but actually present. His body, blood, soul, and divinity. He stands at the altar and professes his love to me as I am to lay down his life for me all the days of my life. Now, I have to bring that same level of love, of commitment, of devotion, and attention to Mass in how I prepare. You know, you better believe I prepared for my wedding day. I had vows, there were plans, you know, I knew what I was going to say, I knew the readings, I knew the music, the way I dress. You know, obviously we're not going to wear tuxedos and wedding gowns to Mass, but, you know, it shows that we're bringing a sense of reverence and celebration to what we're doing. When I arrived, you know, I didn't arrive 10 minutes late to my wedding. I was there early, because early is on time for a special occasion like that. 
I participated. I sang the songs. I said the responses. I loved everything about that day. I was smiling. I was joyful. And why I was there in the first place, it wasn't to check a box. It was to give myself to another person. That is what Mass is all about. You remember, every sacrament is a covenant. It's an exchange, an exchange of persons, a commitment to deeper relationship to Jesus. And so we go back to our definition of a sacrament. It is a visible sign instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church to give grace. And so what are the visible signs of the Eucharist? Well, the bread and the wine. We believe that in the sacrament of the Eucharist and at every Mass, something happens called transubstantiation. It's a fancy Catholic word that basically, word that basically means that the substance of the bread and the wine changes into the body and blood of Jesus. But it looks, smells, feels, tastes, sounds like bread and wine still. But it is Jesus giving himself completely to us in the same sacrificial offering that he made on the cross. So we don't re-sacrifice Jesus, but instead we actually kind of travel back in time to that one moment and receive that same offering. So where did all of this come from? Where did we get this visible sign and this structure and idea of what the Mass is? Well, remember the second part, it was instituted by Christ himself and then entrusted to the church. So we see this happen at the Last Supper. The Last Supper, this is the last meal of Jesus with his apostles the night before he is crucified. So he's celebrating the Passover, which is a feast that was about 1,300 years old at this point, and it had been practiced every year since Moses led the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt, which you can read about in the book of Exodus. At the time of Moses, he was instructed to have every family on the 10th day of that month to find a year-old lamb without blemish. And on the 14th day of that month, they would slaughter it and they would spread its blood on the doorposts of their homes with hyssop, which is an herb. And they would consume the flesh and they would be saved from death and then they, the next day freed from slavery from Egypt. Well, 1300 years later, on the 10th day of that very same month, Jesus, who is the spotless or sinless Lamb of God, he enters Jerusalem on a day we now call Palm Sunday. And he agitates the Jewish leadership who begin to conspire to bring about his death. He is the chosen lamb without blemish for the new Passover. On the 14th day of that same month, he is killed. His blood is spread on the post of the cross. And he is given to drink wine with hyssop, that same herb. And that blood is what saves us from death and from our slavery to sin. Jesus was very intentional about offering himself as the new Passover lamb, the new sacrifice, and we're meant to consume him. He says this very clearly in John chapter 6. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. People obviously found this teaching difficult. In fact, it says a few verses later, as a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus doesn't correct them. 
He doesn't call them back and clarify and say, oh, it's only speaking symbolically, or this is just something to kind of give you an idea of what I meant. He meant clearly what he said. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been to a Seder meal, which is like a Jewish Passover celebration, but there is a clear structure. There's a script, there's a format, and clear rules as to how it's done, and every single dish means something. So at Jesus' time, it was no different. But the interesting thing here is Jesus already spoke about this so intentionally in John 6, and when he gets to the Last Supper, he does something very intentional. It says, in Matthew 26, what he does, he departs from the script and he says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and giving it to his disciples, said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which will be shed on behalf of many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, from now on, I shall not drink this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you new in the kingdom of my Father. Now, Jesus changes the words of the Passover. Every one of the apostles would have been clearly seeing this as Jesus doing something new or potentially wrong. You know, in fact, the account in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, do this in memory of me. So he literally tells them to continue this new thing that he said. When he says, take and eat, the words that he used for eat actually means to gnaw, like an animal chewing on a bone. In fact, in his native language of Aramaic, there are over 40 words that Jesus could have used if he wanted to say, oh, this symbolizes my body, or this represents my body. But no, he used that word, gnaw. He literally, not symbolically, literally means eat my body and drink my blood. It sounds gross and weird, but in the context of Passover, it makes sense as a sacrifice. Now lastly, the interesting thing about the Passover meal is that there are a series of four cups of wine that are shared. Now we know from the details in the Bible that this was actually the third cup. So Jesus not only changes the words, but then he stops in the middle of Passover. And the, the apostles were probably like, do we tell him that he missed part of that or that, that he's doing something wrong? You tell him. No, I'm not going to tell him. You tell him. Like, it would have been noticeable. But remember, Jesus said... On the, uh, he said at the Last Supper, From now on, I shall not drink this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you new in the kingdom of my Father. When does he drink again? On the cross. When he dies, he drinks wine with hyssop. That is because at that moment, this new Passover is complete in the sacrifice of the new Passover lamb, Jesus, on the cross. So when we come to Mass, when we receive the Eucharist, we remember this sacrifice and how it saves us from sin and death. When we come to a wedding, that's what the Mass is, but it's also, in a sense, a funeral. You know, when, when you go to a wedding, two people are, con are dying to themselves to be joined to one another in new life. When we go to a Mass, it's not only a wedding, but it's also a funeral celebration of the life of someone who gave his life for you. Now, if someone dodged, or, you know, dove in front of a bullet for you, and you were invited to go to their funeral, would you behave the same way that you behave at your normal Sunday Mass? Or would you be a little more reverent? Or if you were at your very own wedding, would you behave the same way you behave at a normal Sunday Mass? I think we would probably do things differently. So the Eucharist, the sacrament of the Eucharist, and the Mass itself is a lot of things. It's the new Passover. It's a remembrance of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, for our salvation, forgiveness of our sins. 
It's also a communal meal of thanksgiving. In fact, the word Eucharist comes from a word Eucharistas in Greek, which means thanksgiving. It's an encounter, it's a covenant with the real presence of Jesus Christ, his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. It's, it's called the Eucharistic celebration. It's all about the Eucharist, the body and blood, which through the Mass are no longer bread and wine, just as a bride and a groom are no longer themselves. They become one flesh, a husband and a wife. They are changed. That is how and why Jesus instituted this sacrament, entrusted it to the church, and why we do what we do, and why it's so important, a fundamental belief of Catholics that we have to go to Mass every single Sunday and Holy Days of Obligation, because it's so important. And lastly, sacraments give us grace. Grace is the life of God living in us. Now, if you were ever in doubt of whether or not Jesus is actually dwelling in you physically when you receive the Eucharist, I invite you to look up Eucharistic miracles, and you will find stories, some over a thousand years old, about times when the Eucharist has actually miraculously and visibly turned into real flesh and real blood. One such occurrence happened in a city in Italy called Lanciano in the 700s. And uh, the, the host turned into actual flesh, and it was kept and preserved, and it ended up being studied in the 1970s, so 1,500 years later, by a scientific lab. And that lab reported that it was living heart tissue from an adult male, blood type AB, not from a cadaver, not medically preserved, no chemicals present, not from an animal, not tampered with in any way. In fact, it still had living white blood cells in it, as if it were still alive. When we die, our white blood cells go away pretty much immediately. Multiple similar miracles have happened in the last decade, and they all match. They're all male heart tissue. In fact, from the pericardial wall of the heart, the part of the heart that controls the heartbeat. All from an adult male, blood type AB, and AB is the universal recipient because God received all of our sins universally into himself and poured out his blood in forgiveness for them. God is literally trying to give us his heart at Mass. And one such story about the beauty of the Eucharist that I love to share is that NASA was doing a study once in a hospice center. And they were studying a machine that could measure life forces and life signatures. Uh, so they could take it in, uh, to other planets or to, to outer space to see if there was any life out there. And so they were measuring um, this kind of indicator on patients who were dying in hospice to see kind of if the indicator was going down and if it actually showed whether they were alive or not. And uh, one day, a man who they had been observing and his kind of life signature was kind of dwindling over time, someone came and visited him. And they were observing through the machine, and the machine was overwhelmed with light, with this life signature. It just overwhelmed the lens. And when it kind of started to, to condense, it formed a ball of light through the lens in the pocket of a man who had entered the room. The man reached into his pocket, and he pulled out the Eucharist and gave the body of Christ to this patient. One of those NASA scientists was so convinced of the supernatural reality of what had happened that despite being in his 50s, he left NASA and became a Catholic priest. This is why we gather for Mass. When we gather at the beginning, we begin in the sign of the cross, the sign of the sacrifice. And we have the opening introductory gathering things to call us to prayer to the message that week. Then we sit and we hear readings proclaimed. We hear the love story of God about how he has given everything for us and how he desires for us to give everything back to him. 
And then we bring humble gifts of bread and wine to be transformed. But we also bring our humble, messy lives to be changed by God, by a God who loves us. And then we actually experience on the altar the bread and wine being transubstantiated into our Savior. And then we receive our Savior. And we're sent forth changed to share that gift with others. This should change everything. Our entire week, our entire life. It should change how we approach Mass as not a box to be checked, not to be entertained, but a commitment to Jesus. St. Jose Maria Escriva said this, When you approach the tabernacle, that's the box in the chapel where the Eucharist is held. When you approach the tabernacle, remember that he has been waiting for you for 20 centuries. What a faithful spouse we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So when we receive him on the tongue or when we receive him on the throne of our hands and we hear proclaimed the body of Christ or the blood of Christ, we say, Amen which means, I believe, or I do. Jesus is offering himself to you, his whole life, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So, do you take Jesus to be your savior for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, as long as you shall live?